Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew 22, 34 to 40, and Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then the reading from Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All right, good. You're good. You're good, right? You know, this is the 12th day of Christmas. Welcome to the 12th day of Christmas. And also what we know as Epiphany in the church, which is the king, where we celebrate the king, kings, the magi coming to worship Jesus. Uh, we're today, we're going to spend a little time on something different. I'm going to be doing a little bit different message this morning and talking a little bit about our mission as a church. Uh, but did y'all have a good break? Did y'all have a good, like, restful time with family? Eat, how many people ate too much? Right, yeah, I'm there. So great time to run a marathon, don't you think? All right. So let me think about, I was over the break, we were at... Uh, uh, Fred, what's that place? I wanted to say Albert Lee. That's the other store. Fred Meyer. There's too many male names for, for stores around here. So I, I was also at Albert Lee, but I was at Fred Meyer, and we were checking out at Fred Meyer over in Ballard, and as I was going through the line, this, we're chatting, you know, with the checkout person. He's being very polite for us. We're talking about technology and things, and we shift, the conversation shifts from technology to him telling me a story, an ancient story and I think the name of it is, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, the Mahabharata is the story he began to tell me, which is an Indian story based in ancient Hindu, an ancient Hindu story. And he began to try and explain this to me to try and bridge this gap between technology and ancient history and Hindu history. And he began to tell this story and he wrote some notes for me because I was obviously asking questions about it and learning, wanting to hear his story. And so I got more on it and then we left and and I went about that. Now, my takeaway from that experience was twofold. One, I loved that he was willing to tell me his story. And notice I was asking questions. I was interested in his story. And I, I loved that he was willing to share it with me. The other thing that uh, I took away from that experience was I had no context to understand that story. 
I didn't grow up in India. I, I don't have a Hindu background. And so I'm trying to understand a story that is totally foreign to me, right? And I'm trying to make sense of it. And I, of course, went home and I Googled it and did what every other uh, technologically advanced American does now, you know, and look it up and find out more about it. And so it's based in this ancient Hindu story. And I thought about this when it comes to our story, the Christian story. Do we tell our story? Are we willing to tell our story? Are we willing to go about and share our story with other people and to share, share the story of God's redemptive love in Jesus Christ? Are we willing to share that story with others? And why or why not? And the other thing, I think if we do share our story, the other thing we need to keep in mind, I think today, is that we have to remember that the people that we tell our story to are like me, hearing a Hindu story. Like, they're hearing a story that they have no context, they have no understanding of, and so we've got to tell the story in such a way that it's got to be pretty basic, pretty simple, pretty clear, pretty straightforward. And I think about this story and why we may or may not be telling the story. Maybe that's why we hold back from telling our stories. We're afraid it might be misunderstood or misconstrued or maybe it'll be rejected. I don't know. But I do know that we need to be people who tell our story. And today we're going to be talking about that. If you look at what happened in the Great Commission, you know, we skip over. We, we, we know the Great Commission, at least in the church. We think about the Great Commission. We know it, you know, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them. And so that's what we know. But we often skip over a key verse in that passage that when Jesus, we have to remember that in the context, Jesus is meeting with the 11 disciples. Judas is no longer there. And they're meeting at a mountain in Galilee where Jesus told them to go after his resurrection. So the resurrected Christ is appearing to the 11 disciples. And notice what happens to the 11 disciples in verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. Now, we could also translate that as that they all doubted. That all 11 were, were doubting, but not in the sense that they didn't believe in the resurrected Jesus. Not that they doubted that Jesus was real or that Jesus was appearing before them because they worshiped him. They were, this word doubt here means hesitancy, uncertainty. That they weren't really certain about what's next. They, weren't, they were kind of doubting and hesitant about what we're supposed to do now, Jesus. And, and what do we do? Because now, where have they been? What have they been doing with their story about the resurrection? What, what have, who have they told? Not a lot of people. They've been hiding their story because they're afraid still. They're, they're uncertain. They're, they're hindered. And so they're, they're in this place. Now, I bring that up because notice the next thing that Jesus says to them is this. Before he says, go make disciples, he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Why is that important? Why is it important for doubting disciples to hear that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? Because he's saying to them, you are empowered to share the story. And regardless of how people respond or reject or like your story, doesn't matter. Let me worry about that. I have all authority. Your job is to go tell the story and tell it to people who may not get it, may not understand it, but our job is to tell our story. We've been given all authority along with Jesus to go tell this story. We have a mission that Jesus has given us to go, for, go there for and make disciples, to tell our story, to connect people to Jesus. 
I think maybe part of the hesitancy, too, about our story is a lot of people say, well, well, pastor, I haven't been to seminary. I, I can't, I, I don't know the story. I'm like, well, how many, let me ask this question I've asked before. How many of you have seen God work in your life? Lift up your hand. You've seen God work in your life. You have a story. You have a story to tell somebody. If God has been working in your life, you have a story to tell somebody. I don't know about you, but I think part of the, the issue is, uh, I don't know if this happens, I'm going to assume it happens to you, or maybe I'm just going to confess that it happens to me. I have authority fantasies. Do you ever have authority fantasies? What I mean by that is, like, I'll be driving down the road, and somebody breaks the law, like they cut somebody off, or they're speeding, or they're driving in the HOV lane with only one person in the driver, right? Does anybody see that? Do you ever have an authority fantasy right then? Like, oh, I wish I were a police officer. How many people? Does anybody else have that authority fantasy? Am I the only one, right? Right? We have these authority fantasies, or I'm out running in the park, you know, Discovery Park, and dogs are off leash chasing people and coming after me, and I'm like, where is the authority? Right? Oh, if they would just deputize me. You see, right? Authority fantasy. That's what I call it. But, what, but we don't say anything and we don't do anything. Why? Because we don't think we have any authority. We don't think we're the person to do that. We don't, we don't think we're the one to do that. And I think it's the same with telling our story. We think, oh, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the one in authority. I'm not the, the expert. I'm not the one... But if we have a story of God's work in our life, then we are to tell our story of how God has worked in our life. As, I, as I've quoted before, Max Lucado said, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's as simple as that. The bread of life, the grace of God, the love of God. So I'm talking today about all this because I want to uh, repeat to you, we looked at this last week, but I want to talk more about our mission statement that we adopted as a church for the first time just this past fall. And I want to unpack that with you this morning because it's about us going out and focusing outward and telling our story and connecting people to Jesus. So here is our mission statement that's easy to remember. It's pretty simple. It's this. Let's uh, bring it up. Loving people. Can we get up? Yeah. Loving people, connecting them to Jesus, and serving the world. Love, connect, serve. Pretty simple. How many people think they could memorize that right now, right? Pretty simple, right? Um, let's all actually read that together. Let's read together this statement again. Loving people, connecting them to Jesus, and serving the world. So people, I, I've had a mission statement. There's been a mission statement. There was a mission statement in our church before I got here. Now there's this mission statement that I'm here. I've been in other churches. We've had mission statements. If you've been involved in a nonprofit organization, there's a mission statement. You may work for a company. What do you have? A mission statement, right? And some people kind of get a little over, like, another mission statement, right? Why is that important? Why is having this important? Well, I'm going to tell you why it's important in a very, in a very simple illustration See, I'm going to show you a picture of the most dangerous organization, the most dangerous team, and it's this team. So there's a mission. Every team, every team has a mission. You know, you heard a little bit about World Vision this morning. I bet you they have a mission statement. I bet that they have a direction that they go in, right? So whenever you have a mission, it helps everybody focus on a certain direction, on a certain uh, mission together. But what I've got up here on the screen is what I call the, one of the most dangerous teams for any organization, it's because on this particular team, you'll see that three of the team members, or 75% of the team, is focused on the mission. 
there's one team member who is still focused on the mission, but they're also focused on a couple other things that aren't missional. They're, they're focused on some other good ideas, some other good thoughts. They're, they're not focused on bad things, but they're focused on some other things that don't always connect or serve the mission. And so they're just, they're kind of double-minded. You know, they got one eye on the mission and one eye on some other things. They're kind of half-hearted. Jesus talked about half-hearted disciples that had half of their heart on the mission and half of their heart on the world, right? He talked about that in discipleship. And so why this is the most dangerous team is because what happens on a team like this is that this team goes in circles, never accomplishing the mission. Because all that, per, that one team member just kind of drags and nudges the whole team just off the mission enough that the whole team goes in circles and never accomplishes anything never accomplishes the ministry, never accomplishes the mission, never sees results, never sees outcomes of the mission. Because there's always something distracting the whole team or someone distracting the whole team. That's why this is dangerous, because you can be on this team and you can be thinking you're focused on the mission, not realize you're going in circles. You ever, have you ever been on a team like that? I have. You know what it's called? the church. There's always church. Every church I've been in struggle with this. The military calls this mission creep, you know, that we just creep around. We don't even know what's happening to us. And this is why having a mission and a focus as an organization is important because we don't want to, we want everybody focused on the mission. So you're going to hear a lot about that this year in 2019. In fact, I said last week, if you were here, I said, I want to hear when you're sick of, you're going to get sick of this. You're going to come to me and say, I am sick of hearing that statement. And if when you say that, I'll be like, we've accomplished our mission. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be a positive. I'll see that as a positive. So here it is. Let's break it down a little bit. The first action word here is love. Now, notice that this whole mission statement is actually based on what our mission statement used to be, and on the scriptures in Matthew that, that we're to love God, love our neighbor, and the Great Commission. Our mission statement is based in the biblical commandment and the biblical commission. And the first part is to love. That's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this word love doesn't refer to a feeling. It refers to an act of a person's will. So when I love, I'm actually acting in a manner or behaving in a way that expresses love and, and well-being for another person or another human being. And I may not feel like doing that. That's the catch. Uh, are there ever times where you don't feel like doing things? <laughs> right? You don't feel like uh, doing things, but you do them anyway, because hopefully because you love that person or you love someone how many parents here have done something that they didn't want to do for their kids? And why did you do it? Because you love them, right? How many of you drove your kids at, oh, dark 30 to some practice or some playoff game or whatever? See, why do we do those things? We do those things because of love. It's an act of the will. And that's what Jesus is, is, is calling us to. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that we're going to always feel love. And that's also why Jesus could teach us things like love your enemies, are you going to feel good about loving your enemy? No. But why does Jesus teach us that? Because Jesus knows that we can act lovingly towards our enemies even if we don't feel like it. 
even if we don't want to, that we can actually will to do it, and that's what love looks like. Interestingly enough, uh, Pew Research uh, has done, the Pew, Pew Research Center has done some research on people's belief in God in our, in our society today, in America today. And they have determined that about 80% of Americans believe there is a God or a higher power. So they lump those two together, about 80%. Now they can break out that 80% into two groups. Those who understand the God of the Bible or the God described in the Bible that we read and those that believe in a God that's not described in the Bible. So kind of the higher power or just some other understanding of God. And when they break out those two groups, it's interesting to see who believes that God is loving. Now let me just, let's just take a guess here. Let's just see where we're at. If you had to compare the groups of God that understood by the people who describe God in the Bible versus people who just see God as a higher power, which of those two groups do you think see God as more loving? How many, how many, what do you think? How many people think God of the Bible uh, see it more loving? How many people think God as a higher power is more loving, right? Actually, the result is that 97% of people who see, who know the God, who believe in the God described in the Bible see God as a loving God. They, 97%. Because when we understand the story of God's redemption in our lives, what do we begin to understand? How much that God loves us, right? Now, 69% of the people who see God as a higher power believe that God is loving that way as well, but, they, but not as much, which surpri- I, I was surprised by that, actually. But it doesn't surprise me when I understand the story, because I'm always preaching that God loves us, no matter what. That's the story. That's the biblical story. And that's the biblical story that we have to tell people and to share with people. So that's love, right? The next part is connect. The next action for us is connect. See, we're to be connecting people not just to ourselves, and I would say not to our church. We're to be connecting people to Jesus Christ. Our job is to connect people to Jesus. It's, con- it's to help them follow Jesus. It's to help them know Jesus because we believe that a life with Jesus is better than a life without Jesus. And then if we really want to master life, which I know that's a big thing going on now, we want to master certain things in life, but if we want to master life, we actually have to know the master of life. The one who mastered life was Jesus. So if we want to master life, if we want to get life uh, well done, if we want to have well-being and all these things, we actually have to get to know the master. We want to introduce other people to the master and connect them to Jesus because of this. That's why Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What is he talking about? Discipleship, teaching, baptism, right? These are all connections, right? When we make a disciple, we're connect. We don't actually make disciples. I don't, like, we don't put people in a factory and they come out disciples, which sometimes we think the church is that, right? Oh, if we just insert people into church, they'll out, we'll pop a disciple on the other side, and then, we're, we're, we're dis, and then we wonder why we're disappointed all the time. Because really it's about helping people follow. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus and tries to follow Jesus, and so that's what a disciple is. So we actually just introduce people to Jesus, connect people to Jesus, and say, follow that guy. Don't follow me. Don't follow Joe over here. You know, don't, don't follow... Um, 
you know, Karen over here follow Jesus, right? That's who we want to connect people to. And that's what it means to make a disciple. Someone asked me um, just recently, was talking to me and said, so Matt, what's been the highlight of 2018 at First Free Methodist Church? What's been your highlight at, our, at the church? And my instant reply was baptisms. My instant reply was baptisms. We, we had five people baptized um, this year in our church. Some of those were adults. Thinking of Thor, uh, who was baptized. Jet, is Jet back here? Is Jet here? Is he there? Yeah, there is Jet. Jet's back in the booth. Jet was baptized this year. We had some young people uh, that were baptized on Easter Sunday. And when, I, when people ask me what's been happening at FFMC, I tell them about Jet, and I tell them about Thor, and I tell them about some of the young people that have been baptized in our church. And I th- talk about that. Because why? Because that's a connection. That's a connection to Jesus, right? Somebody said, made a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, and we baptize them. So baptism is the outward sign of that. So here's my hope for 2019. Five, five's really great. I love the five. I'll take one. I think I would love to see at least 10 people baptized in our church this year. Wouldn't that be awesome? To see 10 new connections to Jesus this year. I think we could, you know, I think there could be more. I don't know what God wants to do. It's not me telling God 10, 11, 12, whatever. But I just think we as a church could connect more people to Jesus. And that's what I'd love to see happen. And here's the other thing I want to suggest to you. That if someone gets, is baptized, connected to Jesus because of you in our church this year, I'm going to invite you. I want you to come help me baptize that person. I don't, I don't want to do it myself. If you are the one who helped connect them to Jesus, I want you to come up here with me and help me with the baptism. I, I've got the authority, right? <laughs> but I'm going to lend some of my authority to you because you're the one that connected them to Jesus. You can clap for that. Were you clapping for that? That's right. Because <laughs> that's what it's about, folks. We need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate it when you help someone get connected to Jesus. I'm thinking of the Chinese, we had a, a Chinese uh, person who is now back in China that was baptized, right? Under persecution now, who came into our church and was baptized, connected, and said, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to go back to China and follow Jesus, even though it's not safe to follow Jesus there. I think about those things. Those are highlights in our church's life, and we want to see more of that work of God in our lives. So that's my hope for this year around that, and I want to include you in that. You know, here's the other thing about discipleship. How many of you dis- consider yourself a disciple? I consider myself a disciple, right? Here's the sign of healthy discipleship. The sign of a healthy disciple is the, is the making of another disciple. You know you're following Jesus when you're helping someone else follow Jesus, that's the sign of healthy discipleship. And so if, if that's not happening, then I would ask you to evaluate your discipleship and ask you to think about what's going on there. Am I holding back? Am I like the disciples, uncertain, doubting my story and what God has done in my life? And am I holding it back from others that there may be some other disciples around me waiting for me to share the story? I would also say that the sign of a healthy church 
is guess what? Another church. The sign of a healthy church is the creation of another church. I love that we actually helped do that over the past couple years. There's a church now uh, with Farsi-speaking people. It was in Kent, and it's still going today. I'm glad that that church is still going. It's under new leadership. And then I'm glad that this church had a hand in that. I'd love to see us do that again here in the city of Seattle. I'd love for us to plant another church. But part of doing that will require us to get healthy as a church. Because healthy churches will create other churches. So as we become healthy as a church in connecting people to Jesus, loving people, connecting them to Jesus, serving the world, as we get better at that, we're actually going to grow our church in a way that will help us to be in a position to start another church in some form or in some fashion. I don't know what that'll look like, but I would love to see our church plant another church somewhere in the future. I'm not saying 2019. 2019, great. Maybe it's 2020. Maybe it's 2022. I don't know. I would love to see us plant another church in the city of Seattle, that we did that because we were a healthy church and we planted another healthy church. And then the last action word here is serve. Serve the world, particularly, to take our service and go out in the world. One of the things I love about First Free is that we have people that are serving the world globally. We have teams like World Vision. We have, is Phyllis here this morning? Phyllis Sorter still here? Did she go back? To, um, she's not here, but Phyllis uh, was here last week. She's gone back to the mission field. Uh, sister schools, I know we have sister schools here, and I know we have other connections around the world, different partners. We have 10 global partners that we work with, and so we have people that are taking leadership and serving the world, and I love that we're doing that, and I love that leaders are going out. I would suggest to you, too, that this, something's going to need to shift in our leadership here in our church. Uh, one of the th- shifts I think need to happen in our church is one is what I would call too deep leadership. Now, too deep leadership is where a leader is mentoring another leader in that ministry area. So if you're a leader in a ministry area, if you're a greeter, usher, whatever your leadership is, I want to invite you to go too deep. So if you're a leader, I want you to think about who's the other leader I can bring alongside of me and I can share leadership with in serving this community or serving in this mission field or serving in the church? Who's that other leader? And the other thing I think we need to look at is based on this question. Our leadership team and our staff have been wrestling with this question this past fall, and it's this question. What are ways we could grow younger and become a thriving intergenerational Christian community in which younger generations can grow? So how do, the question, strategic question for us as a church is really is how do we grow younger, right? How do we grow younger and how do we include younger leaders among us and, and, and with us so that we're intergenerational? I love that this last year, the leadership team added two new members that were young adults. We have two new leadership team members that are young adults in our church. And I love that we brought new younger leaders and we also brought we looked at diversity as well, and so we're looking for diverse leaders. Because if we're going to be a, a, a healthy church, intergenerational church, diverse church, we're going to have to bring and invite people into leadership that way. But let me say this too. Everybody here is, has an opportunity to serve. You don't, you know, because a lot of people say, well, I'm not a leader. Well, let's have a talk. Everybody, I believe, leads in some way, in some fashion. 
everybody serves. Everybody has an opportunity to serve. And if you think, well, that's not me, I can't serve, well, let me tell you about Charlie. Charlie was in a church I served several years ago. Charlie walked to church every Sunday. Uh, he had about a half-mile walk from his house to our church. So every week he would come to serve. He was an usher in our church. And he would walk the half-mile. He would show up 30 minutes early for church. He was there on the dot 30 minutes before the service started every week. Now, sometimes that meant Charlie would come and talk to me for 15 of those 30 minutes but it was still good. I had a great conversation with Charlie. And then when Charlie came, he would hold the bulletins. He would greet you at the door. He would smile. He would shake your hands. He would welcome you. You felt loved by Charlie. And if he knew you really well, you know what Charlie would do? Charlie would hug you if he knew you well. So when you came in, you'd get a hug from Charlie. You'd get a smile from Charlie. You'd get a bulletin from Charlie. But every week, week in and week out, faithful Charlie was there every week. Why do I tell you about Charlie? I will tell you one other thing about Charlie. Charlie had Down syndrome. He was mentally, had some challenges, but he could serve God, right? He, and I love that the church said to Charlie, you know, sometimes the church says, oh, you go sit over here and we'll let us take care of you rather than give Charlie an opportunity to serve. I love that the church gave Charlie an opportunity to serve God and he loved serving God and he loved people. He was one of the best ushers we've ever had. He's since gone home to be with God. But I'm looking forward to the day when I get to meet Charlie again and to get to see him as he fully is and how God created him. And I think that'll be a great day when I get to talk to Charlie again. Everybody can serve. If you're sitting here thinking, I can't serve, I don't have anything to offer, I would challenge that. I would say, yes, you can serve. And when we serve, what we do is we're actually fulfilling the whole mission that we're talking about. And we're loving God. John 14, 23 says this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. See, when we follow the mission, when we do God's will, when we obey God, we're loving God. And God loves us. God already loves us, whether we do it or not. But then God comes and makes a home with us. God becomes a part of our life. And that's a great thing. Is anybody wondering why this is here? Anybody walked in and said, why is this here? It wasn't here last week. It wasn't here the week before. This is a baptismal font. This is where we, uh, we baptize. So if young parents bring a, a young child to us for baptism, we would baptize through this called sprinkling. And I was actually baptized as an infant, a child, and I later came to know Christ when I was 17. I, I was thinking back to that baptism. Can you remember your baptism? Maybe you can. Uh, I can remember the moment I confirmed my baptism. I don't remember I was a child when I was baptized in Lutheran church, but I can remember the moment I stood before the church and confirmed my baptism, where I stood and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. See, baptism is a sign, a symbol that we're following Jesus. And so when we're baptized, and if maybe we're baptized by immersion here, and uh, when we did that, we were 
we were invited to come and surrender our lives. We went down into the water and then we came back up again. And what that symbolized was our dying to self and our rising to follow Jesus. How many people have been baptized here? Right. If you have not, come talk to me. And if you want to be baptized, come talk to me. We'll make sure that you can be baptized. We've already talked about that. But the reason I bring this up is because you took a, a vow when you were baptized. You actually made a promise. You know, my parents made the promise on my behalf, and then when I was 17, I affirmed that promise, and I said it for myself before the church. But you made a promise at your baptism, and I want to remind us of that promise. Can we bring up the promise that we made our baptism? Jet, can you bring up that? Uh, yeah, there you go. Somebody asked you this question. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church with Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Did you know you made that promise? Are you aware of that promise in your life? And know this. Two things. All authority has been given to Jesus, who you follow, and the promise that Jesus said to you, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That as you fulfill this promise, guess who goes with you? Your Savior, your Lord. And so I want to invite you to remember that promise today. And so as you come forward for communion today, there's water here in this font and I'm just going to invite you to do this. You don't have to do this. This is up to you. This is totally what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do today. But I want to invite you to remember your baptism. That might mean just coming up and just touching the water yourself. Or it may be remembering it, touching it to your head, remembering your baptism. So I want to invite you to do that. I want you to remember the promise that you made to Jesus. Your connect I want you to remember your connection to Jesus. Because if we don't know that, we'll never fulfill our mission as a church. Because it's all about us staying connected to Jesus. Amen? So I invite you to do that as you come forward to communion today. Let's pray together.